Hey, Wiki listeners, it's Rachel. And Victor, did you know I host the fantastic NYC Talent Show every Monday night at the Parkside Lounge in New York City? It's an off-off Broadway showcase where you can see New York's underground performance art up close. We've got weekly special guests like Colin Quinn, Janine Garofalo, Tone Bell, and lots more. Use the code WIKILISTEN for a special discount on tickets when you go to nyctalentshow.com. That's nyctalentshow.com. This is the Wikipedia page for Tickling, part two of two. Welcome to Wikilisten, the podcast where we read Wikipedia pages and provide commentary. I'm Rachel Teichman, LMSW. And I'm Victor Bernardo, KSN, expert tickler. Yeah? No, <laughs> not really. Purpose. Some of history's greatest thinkers have pondered the mysteries of the tickle response, including Plato, Francis Bacon, Galileo Galilei, and Charles Darwin. In The Assayer, Galileo philosophically examines tickling in the context of how we perceive reality. Here's the interesting thing, though. So Plato, we call Plato. Francis Bacon uh, is usually referred to by both names. Galileo, I didn't even know Galileo had a last name. Yeah, I never even thought about it. And Darwin is always refers to as Darwin. That was just really interesting. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Just nerding out. This is Galileo. Quote, When touched upon the soles of the feet, for example, it feels in addition to the common sensation of touch, a sensation on which we have imposed a special name, tickling. This sensation belongs to us and not to the hand. A piece of paper or a feather drawn lightly over any part of our bodies performs intrinsically the same operations of moving and touching, but by touching the eye, the nose, or the upper lip, it excites in us an almost intolerable titillation, even though elsewhere it is scarcely felt. This titillation belongs entirely to us and not to the feather. If the alive and sensitive body were removed, it would remain no more than a mere word. Good impression. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe not. Francis Bacon and Charles Darwin believed that humorous laughter requires a light frame of mind, but they differed on ticklish laughter. Darwin thought that the same light state of mind was required, whereas Bacon disagreed. When tickled, noted Bacon, men even in a grieved state of mind yet cannot sometimes forbear laughing. One hypothesis, as mentioned above, is that tickling serves as a pleasant bonding experience between parent and child. However, this hypothesis does not adequately explain why many children and adults find tickling to be an unpleasant experience. Another view maintained is that tickling develops as a prenatal response and that the development of sensitive areas on the fetus helps to orient the fetus into favorable positions while in the womb. Interesting. That is interesting. It is unknown why certain people find areas of the body to be more ticklish than others. Additionally, studies have shown that there is no significant difference in ticklishness among the genders. In 1924, J.C. Gregory proposed that the most ticklish places on the body were also those areas that were the most vulnerable during hand-to-hand -hand combat. He posited that ticklishness might confer an evolutionary advantage by enticing the individual to protect these areas. Consistent with the idea, University of Iowa psychiatrist Donald W. Black observed that most ticklish spots are found in the same places as the protective reflexes. 
A third hybrid hypothesis has suggested that tickling encourages the development of combat skills. Most tickling is done by parents, siblings, and friends, and is often a type of rough-and-tumble play, during which time children often develop defensive and combat moods. Although people generally make movements to get away from and report disliking being tickled, laughter encourages the tickler to continue. If the facial expressions induced by tickle were less pleasant, the tickler would be less likely to continue, thus diminishing the frequency of these combat lessons. Combat lessons. Yeah, combat lessons. It's like a it's like a cat teaching their kitten how to hunt. Hmm, maybe it is. To understand how much of the tickle response is dependent on the interpersonal relationship of the parties involved, Christian Feld and Harris presented subjects with a mechanical tickle machine. They found that the subjects laughed just as much when they believed they were being tickled by a machine as when they thought they were being tickled by a person. Harris goes on to suggest that the tickle response is reflex, similar to the startle reflex, that is contingent upon the element of surprise. Wiki listeners, you can help support us by listening to this quick message while you go build a tickle machine. Thank you for listening to that message. And forget the tickle machine. Let's talk about some self-tickling. Self-tickling. The question as to why a person could not tickle themselves was raised by the Greek philosopher Aristotle. Nismesis may represent a vestige of the primitive grooming response. In effect, nismesis serves as a non-self-detector and protects the subject against foreign objects. Perhaps due to the importance of nismesis in protection, this type of light touch is not dependent on the element of surprise, and it is possible for one to induce self-nismesis by light touching. Gargalysis, on the other hand, produces an odd phenomenon when a person touches ticklish parts of their own body, no tickling sensation is experienced. It is thought that the tickling requires a certain amount of surprise, and because tickling oneself produces no unexpected motion on the skin, the response is not activated. In 1988, Blake Moore and colleagues analyzed the self-tickle response by using MRI technology to investigate how the brain distinguishes between sensations we create for ourselves and sensations others create for us. When subjects used a joystick to control a tickling robot, they could not make themselves laugh. This suggested that when a person tries to tickle themselves, the cerebellum sends to the somatosensory cortex precise information on the position of the tickling target and therefore what sensation to expect. Apparently, an unknown cortical mechanism then decreases or inhibits the tickling sensation. While the reasons for the inhibition of the tickling sensation during self-tickling remain unknown, Research shows that the human brain is trained to know what sensation to expect when the body moves or performs an action. Another reason may be the lack of awareness of many sensations arising from self-movement, such as not paying attention to one's own vocal cords. When we try to tickle ourselves by grabbing our sides, the brain perceives this contact between body and hand and prepares itself for it. This removes the feeling of unease and panic causing the body to not react to tickling in the same way it would if someone else supplied the stimulus. However, some people with schizophrenia have the ability to tickle themselves. Non-pathological individuals high in schizotypical traits also have a greater self-tickling ability than people low in schizotypical traits. This is suggested to possibly correlate with a less pronounced ability of these people to track and attribute the results of their own actions. As physical abuse, main article, tickle torture. 
Although some consensual tickling can be a positive, playful experience, non-consensual tickling can be frightening, uncomfortable, and painful for the recipient. Heinz Hager, a man imprisoned in the Flossenburg concentration camp during World War II, witnessed Nazi prison guards perform tickle torture on a fellow inmate. He describes this incident in his book, The Men with the Pink Triangle. The first game that the SS sergeant and his men played was to tickle their victim with goose feathers on the soles of his feet, between his legs, in the armpits, and on other parts of his naked body. At first, the prisoner forced himself to keep silent, while his eyes twitched in fear and torment from one SS man to the other. Then he could not restrain himself, and he finally broke out in a high-pitched laughter that very soon turned into a cry of pain, while the tears ran down his face and his body twisted against the chains. After this tickling torture, they let the lad hang there for a little, while a flood of tears ran down his cheeks and he cried and sobbed uncontrollably. Ugh. Horrible. Yes. Bad stuff from bad people. An article in the British Medical Journal describes a European method of tickle torture in which a goat was compelled to lick the victim's feet after they had been dipped in salt water. Once the goat had licked the salt off, the victim's feet would be dipped in the salt water again, and the process would repeat itself. In ancient Japan, authority figures could administer punishments to those convicted of crimes that were beyond the criminal code. This was called shike, which translates as private punishment. One such torture was kusuguri zimer, merciless tickling. In Vernon Waihi's book, Sibling Abuse, he published his research findings regarding 150 adults who were abused by their siblings during childhood. Several reported tickling as a type of physical abuse they experienced, and based on these reports, it was revealed that abusive tickling is capable of provoking extreme physiological reactions in the victim, such as vomiting, incontinence, losing control of the bladder, and loss of consciousness due to inability to breathe. Wow. The tickling torture section is pretty alarming. It is actually <laughs> terrible. <laughs> anyway, now we know. This has been the Wikipedia page for tickling part two of two. Thanks for listening to Wikilisten. You can find us at wikilisten.com and on all social media and on TikTok at Wikilisten, except for Twitter, which is at wiki underscore listen. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it really helps us out. And don't forget to smash that subscribe button with your consent. If there's a particular Wikipedia page you'd like us to read, please let us know. We'll read it.